I want to give you three reasons this morning for altogether returning to God in prayer. And, and the first reason is crisis. Crisis is the most rare reason to return together to God in prayer because by its very nature, crisis is something unusual, irregular. But it's also the most obvious reason people tend to, to come together, rally together, or return to God in prayer. The video we just watched was a compilation of footage from the It's Time prayer gathering, which took place in, uh, two weekends ago in Bloemfontein, South Africa. Uh, a quarter of our church, about a quarter of our church proudly uh, call South Africa their nation of origin. And so that means that the reality that one million, approximately one million South Africans rallied together for prayer in the heart of their nation is immediately relevant for you or for a brother or sister sitting on your row this morning. Throughout April, many of you spoke with me about Angus Buchan's uh, call to South Africa to, to return to God in prayer. And as you spoke, the next words, nearly out of all of your mouths, was the word crisis. We need prayer because our nation is going through a national crisis. The rand gets weaker while local prices increase. Inflation, as well as interest rates, mount. Statistics and thus occurrences of assault, murder, rape have increased dramatically in this country, South Africa. Massive Equality or inequality issues surrounding race and the workplace and employment deeply divide people. And I know many of you even feel like that is the reason why you find yourself here in Grand Cayman or at least have stayed in Grand Cayman. Yet another weekly story comes out about corruption, political corruption at the highest levels of government. And here comes another national election in 2019 where it seems inevitable the results one friend, after listing many of these realities I've just listed for you, also added, plus, the Springboks rugby team lost to Japan, and we keep getting worse. <laughs> so, you know, I don't, I don't know how that equates for prayer, but I'm just listing what was given to me, all right? <clears throat> so when this beloved man, Angus Buchan, uh, you know, posted a Facebook message with first a date, and then, then a place to return to God in prayer. A nation put aside their differences and responded to the tune of one million people coming together. Pe- people who are desperate for a day that all this would change. That desperate for God to intervene one day. The theme for the gathering, which was posted all over the stage, adverts, social media posts, the biblical theme was James 5.16, which I'll put up on the screen, where Jesus' brother says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Interesting choice, interesting verse for a theme. Why? Because it's an acknowledgement that as a people, we are at fault for this crisis. Personally, just an ignorant American who occasionally manages to listen to some of you guys, I did consult with a couple South African friends of mine who have consistently displayed a knowledge of South African history and wanting to tell me about that history, and I love hearing it. And so I did this again, and I realized that in 19, or 1652, the first Dutchman to captain a ship on the shores of South Africa was a devout Christian. And 
from there, a genuine movement began, especially in the Western Cape, to see some of the native people of Africa there in the South come to know Jesus. But of course, the human heart, ah, the human heart grows greedy, right? Europeans desired territory, even when uninvited, so conflict inevitably ensued. I'm thinking of tribes like the Zulu at the Battle of Blood River who didn't want their territory to be compromised, who didn't want to be a, their lives intervened into, but of course the human heart wants what it wants. Happening long before apartheid, sin, pride, and greed entered in. I make much of this South African prayer gathering for a couple reasons. One, of course, many of our brothers and sisters are from South Africa. And I want you to know our elders and many of those around you were praying with you two Saturdays ago, standing alongside of you in prayer, aware, asking others to pray. But also this call to together return to God shares much in common with our Bible passage we're going to look at today. And the prophet Joel. So if you would, would you open to the prophet Joel chapter 2? Joel's in the Old Testament. And if you want to use one of our Bibles we provided, it's going to be on page 646. 646. The prophet Joel chapter 2. So we're not told a lot about Joel's crisis. The crisis of his day. The crisis among God's people. But... We do know that Israel has experienced a historical national crisis, the likes of which, at least for the people in that day, they had never seen. And crises are always like that, right? We've we've never seen anything like this before. And that's how people feel about it. In this case, a plague of locusts had, had attacked buildings, homes, and most importantly, farms, rendering them unable to produce food or drink. Locusts, thick as fog. And like our South African friends, the people, God's people, were desperate for a day of change. Desperate for a day of divine intervention. Back then it was referred to, had a word for it, it was called the day of the Lord. The Jews believed, Jewish people believed, that this day would be a day of salvation and judgment. A day of salvation and rescue and restoration for them. A day of judgment, you know, for everybody else. But it turns out they had in their history, too, a deep, dark sin to be confessed. A history of rebellion that they had overlooked. See, guys, they they assumed that God was just with them. But in reality, they lived lives just as they saw fit. Which including drinking wine to their heart's content, we're told in Joel chapter 1. So, God calls them to return to Him in prayer. Let's read together. Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has there's never been before. Nor will there ever be after them throughout the years of all generations. That's because he's talking symbolically here about locusts, about insects. And he says, fire devours them. Behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness. Nothing escapes them. 
Their appearance is like the appearance of horses. And like war horses, they run. And with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the top of mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon are darkened. The stars even withdraw their shining. And so up to this point, God's people, upon hearing this from Joel, knowing that Joel is a prophet from God, they're thinking, finally, someone has given words. A prophet has come and given words to our suffering, to our difficulty. And we all know that feeling when someone just gives those right words, someone you respect, who you love, and they say, I understand. Here is what's going on in your lives. Here is the crisis as I describe it. But then comes verse 11, which was the surprise. The Lord utters His voice before His army. For His camp is exceedingly great. He who executes His word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And so they find out, okay, God is behind this crisis. It's God's army. It's His word that's going out. He's the one leading the charge as the general of these locusts. So it's not just any crisis they're dealing with here. It's God's crisis. Why is that important? Well, number one, we know that anything that happens in life is under the supervision of God. Even the hard things. God is surprised by disasters. He's not up in heaven fretting, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What should we do now? But it's also important here because the thinking of God's people was the day where God intervenes will be the day where he immediately will save us and judge others. And God is saying here, whoa, actually no, my judgment is first against you. I have something first to say about the way you've been living your life. And so, blow a trumpet. Right, this is in verse 1. Sound an alarm. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble because this is not any crisis. It's God's crisis. So if you and your people, whoever that might be, are going through a collective crisis, that's the most obvious reason people come together, right? And say, we better return to God in prayer. But it's also the rarest reason because crises don't happen that often. It was true for the Jews here. Their land, their crops, their sustenance, ravaged by locusts. Let's go to God in prayer. From what I understand, it's true for those of you maybe who are from South Africa for reasons I described. Hey, let's then return to God in prayer. But what about the rest of us? And you might personally be dealing with some crisis that feels like an army of locusts coming into your life, invading everything, taking everything from you. But I'm talking about us, and that's the context of this passage. Everyone coming together for prayer. And yes, Cayman has its problems, morally, socially, financially, politically. And yes, I know we have an election coming up this very month in 17 days, but I'm not sure we can call what's going on in our country right now a crisis like the kinds I'm describing. So I can't just say, hey, look, Joel, it's just like Cayman. Right? That would probably be taking God's word out of context. I would say it would be. 
I can't say, hey, look, our church. And yeah, we have flaws. We have things we've got to work through going on behind the scenes you don't even know about. But we're not, as a church, responding right now to a collective crisis. So what do we do then with God's word? Thankfully, Joel supplies two more reasons for together returning to God in prayer. So let's look at those other two reasons. Reason number two, God's call. So first we saw God's crisis, also God's call. Read with me now in verse 12. We're going through Joel 2 together here. So who can endure this day of the Lord? And then here's what God says. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rid your hearts and not your garments. God actually calls his people, says, return to me. And re- return to me fasting, weeping, mourning, rending your hearts, not your garments. And, and this call to return to God, if, if you're reading this for the first time, or maybe even reading the Bible for the first time, it may, may sound immediately intimidating. And I think when we hear verses like this, these are some of the reasons why many of us get freaked out about coming to a prayer gathering with other people in the church. Right? There are going to be people who know about prayer. I've never even prayed out loud. They're going to be like experts in how to communicate with God. I can barely say help. And you hear this terminology like fasting and weeping and mourning. Those are not necessarily winning invitations to come to a prayer gathering, right? Is that what it's going to involve? Maybe. But look, even as I say prayer vigil, which I've said in the past, I'm going to stop doing that. I even crossed it out on our sign-up sheets. I mean, vigil makes it sound like you might have to bring candles. I don't know. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Am I supposed to bring candles? I better not just come, right? Just let's gather for prayer. So let's take a minute also to to demystify some of this religious terminology. The call to God's people to return to him with all their heart is just basically to come as you are to God. There are parts of your heart, your thinking, your emotions, your will, your desires that are tattered, that are hardened, that are stained by sin. And God says, bring that also. Bring your heart. Rend it. Bring all your heart. Bring those hard parts, those ugly parts too. You can bring that when you get together with people in prayer. There might be sad parts, weeping and mourning. That's okay. Bring that too. When he says, with fasting, come together with fasting. It's one of those words you think, well, if I'm going to come to prayer, does that mean I'm supposed to stop eating at a certain time? Like, if so, when? Should I just come if I didn't stop, you know, eating like yesterday at noon? I don't understand how this whole thing works. Look, again, come as you are. But fasting, here's what fasting at its core is. It's, it's temporarily giving up good and important things to feast on him who is the most good and most important. It's temporarily just saying no to really good things in our lives, really important things. To say That's because I'm going to say yes and focus all my yes on God. That's all really fasting is. It happens to be usually from food when we read about it in the Bible, but it doesn't have to be. It might be your Saturday afternoon nap if we have a prayer gathering on a Saturday. It may be watching your child's football game or swim meet. I know those things are really important. But there's also an importance of putting those things aside Every once in a while to say, God, I'm just going to feast on you. I'm just going to focus on you. I know things like watching your favorite rugby teams match at the local pub. And because you, you do that. And this is a really important match. But maybe it's time to say, you know what, though? I'm, I'm really 
need to sacrificially give up that just to have this time to focus on God. Maybe the birthday party of a child in your kid's class who you know if you miss it, that mother might be kind of cross with you. Or you just feel like she's now judging you or something. I, I don't know what that might be. But every once in a while, it's, it's, it's okay to say no to one kid's birthday party. To say yes to God. I'm going to focus this time on you. That's what fasting is. And for the purpose of setting aside undistracted time to focus and feast on God. So consider joining us on June 3rd because it might be God's call to you. It might be God calling you out and saying, join together with my people to pray. And I'm tempted to say, I almost called this, this point, point two here, God's command. The reason to come together, God commands it. But to be honest with you, I, and I was surprised to find this, even as someone who loves the Bible and studies it, there's no command in the New Testament, no command to gather together for prayer. There, there are all kinds of promises about prayer. I want to read some of those. One of my favorites is John 15, 7. Jesus tells his followers, if you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. What an amazing promise. You, you stick with Jesus, you listen to his words, and things will happen. There are promises about when you gather together for prayer. Matthew 18, 19. I say to you, if two, or you, two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Amazing. According to Jesus, it could be two or two million. That's a matter, but, but, when, but the promise is the Father is pleased and ready to act when we get together for prayer. And notice no command. Now there's plenty of New Testament examples too where people did gather together for prayer. And it seemed like even a habit in the early church. After Jesus ascends into heaven, the apostles along with others who are followers of Jesus gathered together for prayer. It says in Acts, I'm just going to read this to you, Acts 1.14, all these were one in one accord, praying together. The next day, they were all together in one place. In other words, it seems like a, a habit. Acts 2.42 says, the early church devoted themselves to Bible teaching, fellowship, eating together, and prayer. This was a habit in their life. And so it's wise and it's good to do that, but also to say, no command. Peter, James, Paul. It's an area of Christian liberty. Now, I will say, see, though, it seems very wise and profitable, but ultimately it's between you and the Holy Spirit as he leads. How then does the Holy Spirit lead? I'll just, all kinds of ways. Let me just share with you, though, an example of how he led us to decide to go forward planning this Return to Me prayer vigil. It started just by reading the Bible. We, planned, you know, we had this prayer gathering, sorry, not prayer vigil. I said I'd stop saying that. Dang it. We were going to have this prayer gathering. How did that idea come about? Well, first, through reading the Bible, through reading the prophet Joel, and hearing that call here to blow the trumpet, sound the alarm, return to me. And the Holy Spirit sort of brought to mind, is that us, God? Is, is that we need to do? But also the church, God's people, God's leaders. We have been struggling, honestly, for recent, recent buy-in to these prayer gatherings we've had. And I was sharing this with Pastor Brett one day, one of our staff meetings, and Brett suggested maybe we should preach on it. Let's preach on prayer. Soon after, the material we were using in our community group was talking about what is church, and, and specifically what about your church, ask questions about what are your, your church. And I just asked our community group, okay, then it's fair and right to say, guys, how are we doing as a church? Where are some areas that we're fulfilling God's mission? And, and, and the one central, the, the main theme that came forward is there's a strength 
in the Bible teaching and application. There's a strength in the pulpit of Bible teaching and application to our lives, which said, okay, we have Joel calling people to prayer. I have another leader in my church saying, why don't we preach on it? We have, okay, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you're already using preaching. You're already at work through that. Maybe that's what we need to do. And then the circumstances also of we have an election upcoming. There are people in crisis in our church. Those were, were some of the ways the Holy Spirit nudged us, encouraged us. I want to resist making this into a formula. The best way to hear the Holy Spirit, as we talked about last week, is just by talking to Him. Personal prayer. Get your Bible out. Let God have the first word in your life. Think about how that relates to you and then respond to Him. But that's how He used it in my situation. Saying, Let, let's, let's do this return to me prayer gathering. So a second reason to get together for prayer, God's call, the Holy Spirit's call. Reason number three, and the most reliable reason, God's character. Look at verses 13 and 14. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. The most reliable reason to get together for prayer is what we already know about God. Who he is. That phrase, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Did you hear that? That phrase is like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. It's like the heart of who God is. So, if you would with me, complete this sentence. I've got ants in my... Alright. I got off on the wrong side of the... Alright. If you were to ask a Jewish person, the Lord is... They would say, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding, and steadfast love. From Exodus to the historical stuff and the Psalms and the prophets, it's repeated over and over and over again. That's who the Lord is. So why return with others in prayer? Because of God's character. He can be relied on. I used to, when I started talking to God more regularly, I used to just sit down and, and put an empty chair across from me when I prayed. Sometimes I'll still do this. But it was a reminder to me that God is a person and he listens. And I would talk to, to him, sort of imagining him in that chair. It, it, it worked for me. It helped me. Someone's going to tell me later, like, that's heresy. You, you prayed to the chair. That's not what I was doing. I'm an idol. But I was thinking about this that this week. And I thought about... How people, when I sometimes I talk to them, have different postures of listening. So, for example, some people when they listen, right, they listen like this, right, All right, and uh, you know, like 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 maybe a maybe a spouse who's not listening well and slouching down, right, like mm-hmm, right. I thought about that posture of distraction, you know, checking your smartphone, uh huh, uh huh, right, checking what you have to do, coming up, what's what's on my calendar. I thought about a posture of just coldness, looking away, like that person who needs to be brought into the conversation. They're not interested clearly. And then I thought about the person who leans in, who really listens, and you know they're engaged. They're looking you in the eye. I don't know what your experience of God is, but I'm coming to tell you, God's posture in prayer is the Father who's leaning in. He, he, he longs to listen, to hear, and want to answer. And so I love it. it says, who knows? Like, if nothing else, 
Why not pray? Because who knows if God will relent and turn and leave behind a blessing. God isn't someone who's going to be bothered by your prayers. And sometimes we think that, like, I don't want to bother him. There's more important things. I don't want to interrupt him. But look at Jesus. Jesus loved to be interrupted. He was frequently interrupted and responded graciously to his disciples and to his apostles. Joel asked in verse 14, who knows whether it will turn relentlessly behind a blessing, a grain offering and a drink offering from the Lord your God. It's an interesting phrase. The, the locust plague had wiped out the Jews' ability to even worship God properly. As part of worship, God's people would bring love gifts to God, including grain offerings and drink offerings. They would bring animal sacrifices to make sure that they were right with God again. These blood sacrifices to say, okay, I want to get right with God again. I've sinned. And they'd use grain offerings and drink offerings to say, I love you, God, for what you've done. You've loved me. You've purchased me by your blood. Like Brett talked about earlier at the beginning of the service, we've been redeemed, and, and I just want to love you back. And they would do that with grain offerings and drink offerings. Well, those were gone. And then God provides them again. What if he leaves behind drink, grain offerings, drink offerings for the Lord your God. Isn't that interesting? God answers prayer for a couple different reasons. One, that's who he is. That's his character he loves. But he also answers prayer so that we will worship him in turn, that we can fulfill our worship to him, that he leaves behind the resources to say, God, there is so much grace here. There's so much provision I see so many answers that I just want to worship you and love you and glorify you. And that's what's happening here, you see, in Joel 2.14. Not just answer prayer, but leave behind a drink offering, green offering to say, I love you, God. I thank you, God. The exciting thing about gathering together on June 3rd and praying for the needs of your life and others' lives is God's going to be answering those needs. And then we get to praise him and thank him back. Now, I just want to close by looking at what this prayer gathering looked at in Joel, looked like in Joel's time. Look at verses 15 through 18 here. So here's what happened. He says, who knows whether God's going to turn or relent, leap behind this, this blessing so we can worship him back with it. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber between the vestibule and the altar. Let the priests and ministers of the Lord weep and say, spare your people, O Lord. Make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? Then the Lord became jealous for his land and he had pity on his people. We might learn something from this ourselves, the church. What do we see here? We see leaders led We see a prayer time that was radically inclusive. We see a prayer time that was sacrificially urgent. First, we see that leaders led, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders. Consecrate is just a religious term for set apart. And as a church, we're going to promise also to set apart people like elders and and leaders, ministry team leaders, prayer team to facilitate prayer. You're not going to become, like all of a sudden, see the sheet and like, oh, it's all on me. We're not going to do that to you. If you come for prayer, we're going to consecrate, we're going to set apart people who can facilitate that time, at least start that time together as the Holy Spirit leads. 
It's going to be, hopefully, Lord willing, radically inclusive. Like it says, gather the children, even the nursing infants. That means like little Axel back there, Emmett or Oliver, the new, the new baby of Roloff and Azeel. You, you guys, if you're hearing me, you can bring those. You can bring those sweet little children. That, that's what happened. People brought their babies. So we've already started to think of ways that we can include families of young ones, even if it means opening, having an option when families come to have 10 or 15 minutes of more simple prayer time for these kids, of having a big paper tree on the wall where we could post prayer requests, things of that nature, maybe having a, a balloon guy come in, a balloon animal guy, and make shapes of prayers that kids pray. I think that's too far. But things like that to make it interactive. We want to be inclusive. It's also sacrificially urgent. Look at this. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. The secret intimate place where the new bride and groom would go to consummate their marriage. And Joel was saying, yeah, leave even there. The most probably important thing that you can think of possibly that's happened in your life, leave that to come pray. Sacrifice to do it. Again, call to give up those things we acknowledge as important and good. The game of your kids, the birthday party, that nap, that thing you normally do that extra work at the office that could get done and say, well, I'm going to set aside this time in prayer. It might require a bit of sacrifice. But of course, that's what Jesus has done for us, supremely through the cross. Let's pray together. Fathers, we read this passage. We acknowledge that for many of us, a crisis is going on, but for many of us, there is not a crisis going on. And so, how do we apply this coming together to you, this returning to you together in prayer. Father, hopefully, please please compel our hearts, please burn in our hearts these reasons. Motivate our hearts for these, these, with these reasons to, from your word to get together, to, to sacrifice a little bit of our time, to pray for each other, to lift our needs up, to pray for our nation. Father, I pray also that you might lead many of us here to even during worship, the worship time, Lord, or after the service. To I'd love to see, see people just going back randomly to sign up in one of the two tables in the back lobby to sign up for the prayer time, to sign up for the prayer gathering, even if they don't know when, even if we don't know when we can sign up. Move in our hearts to become a people who love to pray together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.